Well, welcome to The Insider, the official podcast for the city of Murfreesboro. I'm Mike Browning. Our guest, as we round out the year of 2021, is Mayor Shane McFarland. Mayor, thanks a lot for joining us on The Insider. My my pleasure being here, Mike. It's good to have you. The mayor joins us uh, from the studio and from the council chambers here at the city of Murfreesboro City Hall. And you've been elected to the city council going all the way back to 2006. You've been around government for a while. It's been, and before that, I was on the planning commission for four years, so I've really been associated with the city of Murfreesboro. This is, uh, this will be my 20th year being being with the city. It's almost like you don't know anything different than to be here working with the government. I know, It's and, and what's funny is I remember sitting in the this chamber when um, they flashed pictures of my now eight, almost 18-year-old boys that they put those on, put them on the screen when they were born, so pretty cool that uh, have been have been part of such a great city for so long and then it's been uh, since 2014 that you were elected mayor and that's a whole different ball game and I know I observe you how you do it you deal with it it's a part-time job but you make it a full-time job <laughs> it's it's uh, different from being a council member I'm not saying it's anyone's better than the other um, but it's it's definitely something you know as we were joking about before um, we, we started that, you know, you, you learn and luckily I'm surrounded by great staff. I mean, much like our city TV three staff and, and you and, um, our, our management team that, um, they do such a great job that it, it makes my job easier, but it's, it's just a different job. The one, the thing that I, I would say that's different as a council member, when I was a council member, um, it seemed like that you really could let things come to you like in the meetings you know you really could just um make your decision a lot of times at the at the meetings but as mayor you don't get that opportunity a lot of times people want to immediately know where where you stand on things and that makes it tough sometimes how many either calls or emails do you think you get a week roughly from people with the city oh gosh i mean it it varies um week to week and and that's one of the things I think that's so um, so different than 20 years ago that you used to get a lot of phone calls because that was really the only way that people would communicate with you. And I think through social media, um, things have, have changed substantially. So as I would say from staff um, in the city, I mean, it, it could be as much as 100 or so emails a day um, that you go through. And I've got an OCD nature in my um, my email and my text messages, so I feel like I have to get through all those in a day. So that seems to be challenging sometimes. But, you know, I think from your constituents and your customers um, that are out in the community, that you notice now that things are not just email-based. You know, you, you have to keep up with your Facebook message page, your comments, your Twitter even Instagram now. Um, so that makes it a little more challenging to make sure that you're staying up with, um, with people who are, who are contacting you. Yeah, there's almost too much information now. We're inundated with information on a constant basis. It's 24-7. It is. And typically, you know, my day starts pretty early, but I, the first thing I do is, you know, I'll check, um, check my phone just to see what notifications mm-hmm. or emails that you had over the night, over the night. And then, you know, you hope and pray none of none of them are bad. So, and and you know we're fortunate in Murfreesboro that we don't get a lot of those bad things that happen. So we're um, we've been blessed with all the, all the things going on in the city. 
Well, much like 2020, 2021 has gone by very fast. It just flew by. Maybe it's a byproduct of COVID. I don't know what it is. I've heard people say the older you get, the faster life goes. But yeah. 2021 has flown by. And we wanted to talk to you about, you know, some of the things that the city has accomplished uh, sure. through your leadership this year. And, and, you know, we want you to be able to, uh, to highlight some of those accomplishments. Yeah, we, you know, especially over really the last month or, or two months, there's been a lot that's happened in the city. But... I think comparing 2021 to 2020, um, we were 2020 was the year of the unexpected that, you know, going through and continuing to somewhat go through a pandemic and people just, you know, it's not like we had a playbook that we, we just pulled out and said, okay, if a pandemic ever happens in Murfreesboro, here's the playbook we're going to follow. So, you know, the guidance from the federal government and the state, changed literally daily and so 2021 has been a year that we really could get back and focus on things inside the city that need to happen needed to happen as opposed to really looking at 2020 um, I don't want to say that it was a lost year but 2020 was just a year of almost reaction uh, it seemed like you were reactionary on a daily basis of all the things that were happening so what approach did the city take in formulating the budgets given that there was so much uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, if you go look at this year's budget, really compared to last year's budget, in 2020, we had we didn't know what to really as we were going through, you know, with, with COVID starting in, in really March. And then that's typically right when we start in the dead heat of getting our budget formulated. And, and so our staff did a great job with putting together the budget in 2020 to, you know, because that, that is the thing you have to take into account. Our, our budget runs from July 1 to June. So our budget that we approved in mid-2020, you know, finished up mid this year in 2021. And there was a lot of guesswork that had to be um, put together in, in that. So we luckily are, you know, everyone put together a really conservative budget, not knowing what COVID would do to sales tax, what not, not if, if hotel motel or tourism would rebound because for six months, hotel motel income was, it wasn't zero, but it was pretty close. Um, so we got our number back in, in July. Um, it, it really, after the audit went through, we got our final numbers in October and we added a substantial amount um, into our general fund, which is our, our rainy day account, and, and had a great year. Um, we were up in sales tax. We were up in all of the things that you really look at that are um, more not a fixed uh, revenue source. So it, it was a really good year in, in the city. Recently, the state reported uh, that it had a pretty substantial surplus. Um, and I guess part of that is, you know, Tennessee is one of the biggest growth states in the country right now yeah. in terms of its economy. So we benefit from that in terms of the state sales tax, right? Yeah, and, you know, the state sales tax is directly you know, derived from your municipalities. Um, and I, was, I had a cup of coffee with a guy this morning just sort of explaining different things, and not many people understand that, you know, our sales tax – um, that we collect half of that goes to the state and then we keep a quarter of of the total amount a quarter goes to the to the county so you know as your municipalities grow 
Um, and as we invest, you know, it directly benefits what happens in the state. So I think that's something you see overall that the growth that we have in the, the area. And that was something, you know, as you talk about growth of, I think you look at Tennessee, you look at Texas, um, you look at a lot of the states around Florida or a lot of the states around the south. And this is not a political um, statement, but there's so many people who are moving to these areas uh, that are not from here. And I was just talking with my wife last night about how many people are moving from California into Tennessee. Um, and I think everyone's seeing that. And so that's one of the reasons we were named the number one boom town in, in, uh, in the U.S. So it's something that we've, we've all been working hard on. Yeah, the city's been in the top 20, sometimes top 10 for growth uh, over the several years. But this is the first time that I've seen us rank number one as a number one boomtown, what does that mean? What was in that report? You know, I, I'm proud, and, and there are several different factors. I think boom is something that is, um, to me, that is something that happens. You know, you have a boom, and that's an, really an explosion. And it, it really gives the, the perception that it happens really quick. And that's not something in Murfreesboro that, you know, we just didn't all of a sudden um, – have the population growth that we had in 2020 i mean or 2021 i mean this is something that when i moved here in the early 1990s you know, our population was 40,000 people and now we're at 160,000 people so i mean this is not just something that's happened overnight so i i don't although i'm proud that we we're named a boomtown um i don't like the connotation that a boomtown has that it's not sustainable because we've sustained this growth for almost 30 years now but the things that we're proud of that they looked at, it's not just population growth. They looked at the unemployment rate. Our unemployment rate is around 3%. They looked at uh, a number that we've really been working hard on, but is, uh, but is your household median income. Our household median income increase was one of the largest in the country. Uh, they looked at GDP growth, and that was um, higher than, than any peer uh, municipality. So they're all things that really look at not just population growth, but quality of life. And so, those are some of the goals that you've had uh, as a council for a number of years now, is to getting getting those numbers up. Yeah, I mean, it's great to say that we're growing, but if you're the person that you can't get a job, I mean, that's not something you look at and say that your city's growing, but you're not able to get a job. And in, in Murfreesboro, I think if you want to work, you've got the the – the ability to be able to find a job here with a 3% unemployment rate. So that's something that I know the entire council has worked really hard on. Many people who hear that, um, especially people who have moved here recently or maybe been here 10 years, they're probably fairly proud of that. You know, they say, I'm, I'm proud to live in a boomtown, but there are some people who maybe have lived here all their lives, and when they hear boomtown, they say, that's why I don't like the growth. Yeah. How do, how do you address that with people? When I moved here, there were 40,000 people. And so you've got to think about that over the last 30 years that we've quadrupled in size. So there's, there's a lot more people who are not from here now than who were originally from here. And, and you look at Nissan and some of the, the industry that's come in, that, that's been a direct reflection of that. But it's really hard, and that's one of the hardest questions that I have to answer when um, people you know, say, well, we feel like we've lost the charming feel in Murfreesboro and 
you know, I choose not to believe that, that just because someone who moves that's not from here, that they can't say that they moved to Murfreesboro because it has a special feel. So, you know, I think it's our, our responsibility, and we do this through our Parks and Recreation Department or different facets inside the city to make sure that the city and the people who work here continue to give that feel of a hometown and why it's a good place to live in Murfreesboro. Much like uh, the state, revenues are growing for the city of Murfreesboro. Uh, we are a boom town, and there's sales tax, and people are buying things, and it's, and they're moving here. Um, but there's also this notion of inflation and supply chain issues and that kind of thing. And then it's hard to, harder to hire people. What we have to be careful as a city is to not use COVID as an excuse. You, you know, I think that's happened some now, especially inside of you know my business, to make sure that we have trouble getting things, but you look at overall and it seems like that we use COVID as an excuse. Well, it's, you know, we can't get X or we can't get Y because, well, COVID caused that. And, you know, in, inside the city, one of the things that we have to be careful with um, is that, you know, we provide services. So we provide trash pickup, we provide police service, fire service, and I think one of the things that the council has really been talking about is making sure that we can continue those services and that we don't see COVID as, as a disadvantage, but we see it as an opportunity where we can we can do things better. And that's really what we talked about even last Thursday night. Paying our, it's so hard right now to find drivers for heavy machinery or equipment and solid so, waste drivers yeah, and, street drivers in our solid waste department they are the one department that that literally touches a house every single week and you know most of our residents have more interaction with our solid waste department than they do any other department inside the city and so we've got to make sure that we can continue um, to provide those services and figure out how it fuels more expensive now um within you know 75 percent of the things that we do inside the city require fuel use so we're just trying to figure out what's the best way to be able to provide those services i would think that most residents would say that the solid waste pickup trash service has improved that it, that it has gotten better you know there was a time when you know you had to wait that three weeks for some things yeah. and and there were some issues, but I think you've reached out and gotten a, a contract with a company to help. Yeah, a couple of years ago, you know, we pick up almost 48,000 trash cans per week. And we've not really ever got gotten complaints on picking up, you know, our, our receptacles. But a couple of years ago, we were getting a pretty significant um, feed or getting significant feedback that we weren't able to keep up with our brush and limb service. And the council made the decision that we broke the city down into quadrants and not only utilize, utilizing our solid waste staff, but we, we subcontracted out with another company to help uh, catch up. And so that's really helped us cut that down to about a, a two-week lead time, which is what we, we originally had wanted. So that's been, that's been very successful. A couple of years ago, the city initiated uh, the sale of the electric department. Yeah. And that was successful. And now the issue is how to use those proceeds. And so that's one of the things that was pretty big this year is Rick Lance headed up a committee that looked into that, uh, a community committee. And now you're at the point of establishing how you're going to go about dealing with that. And it's still in process with the legislature. You're going to have to go and, sure. and uh, change the charter. 
So yeah, maybe explain some of that. Yeah, you talk about the difference with people who you know lived here all their lives. Change is really tough, and especially inside a government. You know, a government doesn't move fast, so change is even tough within the government. So. I think the decision that the council made to to sell MED 15 years from now, 20 years from now, future council members are going to look back, in my opinion, and see that as one of the best decisions the city's ever made. And we're starting to see that now in the decision that we made as we're starting to put together how we're going to use those funds. I think initially, you know, there was a narrative that was put out there that we wanted to get the funds and spend them you know like the old what's the old saying like a drunken sailor that right. you know we wanted to spend that money as quick as we could and the the council may has made the decision to do the exact opposite we actually are going to the state and changing our charter uh and putting it in writing with the with our our state delegation and the legislature will will, will vote on it that we are putting exactly what we have decided with those funds and so it's setting up a trust it's basically saying that future councils can never spend into the principal amount of roughly it's about 250 million dollars without either one having a referendum or two getting the legislature to approve changing the charter back which will be really really tough but what this allows us to do is to take those funds our pension uh, over the last 25 years has averaged about a 10% return. We're figuring moving forward a 4% conservative rate. I mean, you know, 30 some odd or 60 some odd percent less than where we are right now. And then we're gonna, we can use those funds, one, to bolster our strategic partnerships inside the city with our community organizations like Journey Home, Greenhouse Ministries, who we're trying to help um, work on several issues, but you know, more importantly, it allows us supplemental funds to be able to come to the city. MED was bringing in about three million dollars a year was the total on a two hundred and fifty million dollar asset. So it's about a return on investment, about a, a, a percent and a half. Conservatively, o over a fifteen year period, we're talking sixty seventy million dollars between several different. Um, variations that could come into the city to be able to help us with our budget and ultimately you know the goal that we all have is to not have to raise taxes and that's one of the things that we're we're really excited about so by prudently investing this money and and saving off the interest you're going to be able to reinvest in the community in ways that you wouldn't have been able to otherwise I think a figure has been put out there in the millions of dollars that would go into the budget and that's an estimate figure sure. Um, but it can go towards some of the things that people are most concerned about or complain about, which is roads. And yeah. You mentioned it all the time. Yeah, and the roads, that's the one of the huge priorities that we've put as a council. I mean, almost 75% of the funds that we expend every year that we, we have in our capital improvement plan are all the transportation pro projects. And so what this allows us to do, I think the number is, is almost $40 million over the first five years and, and the great thing with that 40 million dollars these are all going to be based on state road projects and not a lot of people realize that the majority of roads that are in murfreesboro are all state roads well this is this is going to allow us to partner with the state 
and typically they fund on a four to one or a three to one ratio. So if we give a dollar, if we put in a dollar to a state project, they give us four dollars. We're conservatively figuring that if we put in a dollar, they're gonna they're gonna match it um, with two dollars. So we can take that forty million dollars and we can leverage that to basically eighty million dollars in road projects to get these projects moving along. Push faster. it up faster. Yeah, I think one of them that's been discussed. I'm not sure if it's on the list, but creating these bridges over I-24. Yeah, I mean, all the low hanging fruit in road projects we've already done. So the road projects that we're going to move forward with are all your tougher road projects to be able to build. So you've got, it's the Beezy Road out by where Costco is, um, a new road that would cross over the interstate that would allow, you know, people from the west, from that sort of case and lane area to get to another side of town or a different interchange without going to the case and lane interchange. Uh, I don't think anyone who lives in Murfreesboro can argue that the River Rock uh, intersection with Case and Lane is just not good. Um, and there's not a way really to fix the amount of traffic that's coming to an interchange. So our goal is to be able to build these bridges across 24 and other areas. There's one even in, on Northfield that will allow people to not have to go to an interchange so they can get to different areas um, in town without you know, congesting up an interchange. There's even a plan of uh, building another bridge over Broad over Thompson Lane and um, and Broad Street. So the Thompson Lane Bridge right now would actually extend over Broad Street so the people on Broad Street would never have to stop at a four-way there. So, you know, we were all, when the bridge over Broad concept originally started, we were all hesitant to say that that, would, that bridge would would fix the issues at that at the time but it's been a great success yeah it was the busiest intersection in the state of tennessee and um you wouldn't believe how many people now will come and say you've taken 10 minutes off of my time uh my daily right. my daily commute because that bridge works so well we've talked about the budget we've talked about the med proceeds both good things going on in the city let's talk about economic development a big announcement in december with legacy sports tennessee yeah. um you must have been pretty excited about that that day. Yeah, I, exciting is excited is probably an understatement. Um, you know, we we worked with them for almost fourteen months and um, and kept it quiet. This group came in, and I think there were fifteen of them that came in. And did you have room in your office? Barely, <laughs> and you know, and of course, this was during um, COVID. You mm. know. Um, so yeah, it was mid last year. So we all had our masks on and they were talking about, you know, why that this would be good for Murfreesboro and, and, you know, after listening and seeing and, and researching, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that I was, I was hesitant to think it would ever happen, but the group never wavered. Um, they never wavered on picking Murfreesboro once they did their due diligence and, and landed on Murfreesboro. And then, you know, mid-December, um, we made the announcement it's a $350 million project. Murfreesboro, and one of the things I'm proud of in the community is that we've we've gotten the reputation of being a, a vibrant and active community. And that's one of the reasons that they wanted to, to pick Murfreesboro. So they're, you know, going to build a... Um, an athletic and sports 
a tourism destination. And the great thing is it being, a, we're, you know, we're not, the city of Murfreesboro is not building it. Um, we want to be able to partner with them from a parks and recreation side because we feel like it'll be a great opportunity for our kids in, in the community to be able to use these these facilities. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe how many times people have, have approached us to say, we sure wish you'd have hockey uh, sheets of hockey ice in Murfreesboro and they're going to build two sheets of ice for, for hockey. So, you know, we've got all these opportunities that we're going to be able to work. 260 work with. acre plus uh, complex. Is, is it safe to say that they found us? I mean, they seem to fit perfect with what Murfreesboro is. Yeah. They, I mean, it, it, yes. Uh, and short answer. Yeah. They found, they found us. And once they came and met with us, it became really clear that their vision of what they have for their company, it's a family-owned company with, with more of a family focus and atmosphere. It really lined up with it, with who we are as a city. And and also, you know, Murfreesboro has become the sports capital of Tennessee um, with Spring Fling and all the things that we have that's in our in our community. So it just, it just fits. And... We're excited with it. Um, so there's still some things that have to be done. This has to be annexed, so it will come back before the council. I don't think that's probably kind of a uh, procedural thing. But within the next couple of years, we'll start to see that out there. Yeah, I mean, I think their goal, um, it's going through the planning process. It has to be annexed. They'll have to have public hearings at the count or at the planning commission level and the council level. And, you know, what we're hearing, their goal is to is to break ground um, first or second quarter of next year. They want to have the facility built and operational in 2024. The other economic development issue that's going on downtown is the One East development. And, um, you know, preserving what's already there in 1888 Tower mm -hmm. uh, for the church. Uh, they've already cleared and, and done the demolition work. I guess the next step is starting to build the foundations, but that's going to be a big asset to it, downtown. It is. And, you know, routinely we hear about our downtown area. I would argue right now that the downtown area has become real estate wise one of the one of the hottest areas in in the city because people really want that downtown um, lifestyle and it it hasn't always been that way um, and and you know I think the council really deserves credit with our North Highland study that we did our bottom study that goes directly with what we're talking on on one college. Um, but people are wanting to, to move downtown, and this development gives the ability to have some new retail space, new office space, a new parking garage, but also have some downtown, um, I don't want to say condos, but it really more condominium-type living that you it's hard to find a house downtown, so this gives the ability for people to live downtown to be able to have that walkability. If you're um, someone who is a, a senior citizen or, or wanting to live, you don't want to maintain a yard, you don't want to maintain a house, you know, having an elevator to be able to get you up and down to your, your units and being able to go out, go out and walk the city. Um, you know, activity breeds activity, and one of the things that you look at in a in a vibrant downtown is there seems to always be activity and something happening and um this is one of the things that helps us keep that that 
vibrant atmosphere uh, moving along. And you've really noticed that in the last uh, several months to a year, the activity picking up downtown. Another place where activity is picking up is out off of Cherry Lane and Memorial yeah. with the Seagull Soccer Complex. You've spent a lot of time out there with your children with soccer, but now it's going to become an even bigger attraction for tourism. Yeah, and that was one of the things with that legacy wanting to come to Murfreesboro. They really um, were honing in on how they could partner with the soccer facility. And, you know, the soccer facility really goes back over the last 15 years of, you know, how do you improve, how do you um, – how do you lessen the amount of maintenance that we, you know, it's expensive to be able to keep up with a lot of soccer fields, but, you know, the council made the decision, um, especially back a couple of years ago when we were awarded the, the contract with the Tennessee State Soccer Association that we were able to convert some of those fields. You know, um, our rental revenue, and Councilman Lance was telling me this at the, the meeting the other night, that, you know, our rental revenue out at Seagull, Seagull Soccer Complex is, is almost twice what it was last year with these new, um, the synthetic the new synthetic fields. And, you know, those synthetic fields, you don't have to mow them. Um, and as a council member, you wouldn't believe how many times that we would get complaints or calls from parents on the weekend when the fields had to be shut down. So now the fields don't have to be shut down. Because of drainage issues or rain. Correct. Or, you know, you're trying to protect those fields when it rains a lot to not cause damage. And now, you know, when it rains, the new fields drain off because they're synthetic turf and kids can use them. Um, So, you know, Mike, I'm I'm a firm believer that you look at other communities and you look at um, successful communities. I mean, I I grew up in a really small town, and and luckily I I was active in sports. So I went from, you you know, I went from football to basketball. One sport to the next. Yeah, then when basketball was over with, I went to baseball. Then when baseball was over with, I started back on football again. So I just went in a – in a in a circle and i didn't really have the ability to get in any trouble because i was always busy and and so i think it's important with our youth that we give those opportunities for them to be busy and and you know to to stay active um team sports has been one of the best things that you know really has molded my my life on on being able you know to learn not to quit to be able to learn how to compete and so I think any way that we can give that back to our youth, um, mm. you know, you look at you look at kids who who do have challenges and get in trouble, and I think that's something that we've worked really hard as a city to make sure that as we identify when those opportunities happen, how that we we help. But you know, the the likelihood of a child that gets in trouble when they're surrounded in team sports is is a lot less and so that's something we've made you know a concerted effort to work on well thanks for your service and happy new year happy new year to you you've been listening to the insider the podcast originates from city hall thanks for listening via podbean spotify apple podcast and amazon music audible you can also watch the insider right here on youtube our producer is michael nevels for more information on the fast-growing city of murfreesboro visit www.murfreesborotn.gov Insider is the official podcast for the city of Murfreesboro. I'm Mike Browning. Thanks for joining us.